In this episode of The Ziggler Show, I bring you Joy Clausen Soto and a story that puts all the positive thinking to the real test of life. I appreciate Mike Tyson famously saying, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, that's what we all deal with, our good intentions, and then the trials come and punch us in the mouth. That's what this show is about. Joy was going along in life, achieving her goals and becoming a dolphin trainer and a filmmaker and living a perspective she got from Zig Ziglar to be joyful and positive in the face of any challenge. Then at the age of 25, she was diagnosed with cancer the really bad kind. And she approached it with this incredible positive attitude and decided to utilize her love of and expertise with film to document the entire ordeal and capture her triumphant overcoming. But it's not a perfect story. Along the way, she realized the end might not be the triumph she expected, which was living. Well, she did live and today helps kids with cancer through a unique event involving dolphins. But we talk through the realities of her having hope and losing it and persevering anyway. And it's a message truly relevant, I think, to all of us, even if we haven't been on death's door as Joy was. Uh, you can visit Joy's website at Joy Clausen Soto. That's C-L-A-U-S-E-N-S-O-T-O dot com. And if you sign up for her newsletter, you can get her book for free. Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid discussions regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. This is The Ziggler Show. It's a top ranked all time career podcast and Apple podcast. Our focus here is growing your professional and personal success by helping you grow into your full capacity. My core podcast is called What Drives You, which for those of you who listen, it's newly renamed from the Motive Podcast. It's devoted to the reasons that drive you and getting clear on them so you can finally achieve what you truly want. And then in my True Life Podcast, it's aimed at getting you fully functioning physically and mentally so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. Here's a quick word from some show sponsors, and then we're going to dive in with joy. Well, Joy, we've got some other things in common, but I like this one that Zig personally told us both to write a book. And it took us both a little while to do it. Uh, my, he told me back in 2010 and my book comes out right at the beginning of this next year. So 2022. 20, uh, so I took a while. You did as well. Why? Because I didn't feel like I was in a place to write a book at that time. I felt like I was in a big transition period in my life. And even though I had a lot of good stories to tell and how I applied Zig's words to my life, I didn't feel like I was there with being able to write a book. So I had to live my life more. I had to do more in order to get to that point where I felt like, yeah, I could actually do this. I could write a book and it's, it, there's a happy ending. Everything's perfect <laughs> and it will come together. So it took me about, well, gosh, he told me that in about 2005 or so. Okay. And then it wasn't until now that I'm finally publishing in the book. Well, and I appreciate that as well, because yeah, it took me a bit there. You know, you talk about in the book about Zig's influence on you. And it's interesting to me that you cited that one specific instance. It was a story that he's told that a lot of folks here who listen have heard as well, where he had a canceled flight. And instead of being in a huff about it, he said, Hey, great. 
you know, what can this make possible in essence? And he even goes on to clarify, does that mean he was exactly ecstatic in that moment? And he says, no, but he's going to turn it for good. But it's interesting that that one message, I mean, I'm sure you've heard plenty of messages. You've heard plenty mm-hmm. of positivity, plenty of personal development, but the power of one message, not that it was about Zig, he's not a God, but that that one thing stood out to you in such a significant way, really, to me, it just brings the, gosh, the gravity to what an impact we can have. And of course, that's what you're trying to do in other people's lives now. Absolutely. Well, his whole statement of fantastic when his flight was canceled, I remember it was just such a huge perspective shift for me to see that someone could do that. Because I think most people would be really upset when their flight gets canceled, angry even, and not zig. He, He could have done that, but he chose not to. And he chose to look at all of the good things and the good reasons why that flight was canceled and the the things he could do in that airport, like do some important work. And he was warm in the airport. I mean, he looked at everything that was good. And I love that story so much that I would tell everyone that story, my coworkers. And then at work, if something went wrong, we would say, fantastic. Uh, So it was something that carried over. I think once you hear something and then start teaching it to others, then that's a a huge shift because it it just means that much to you and you start to adapt that. And the thing that I love the most about him saying that is at the very end when he said, you know, um, I I have people talk, ask me if I really said that. And he said, yeah, I, I didn't feel like that at first. But and um, but after a while, I did feel like that. So, you know, initially we can have that bad reaction that happens to everyone because um, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, that person seems superhuman because they had that reaction. Well, no, we all have these bad reactions, but then we can choose to respond to a situation and to make it a positive response. Well, and part of your story is you embodying that perspective from an early standpoint. So here you get the cancer diagnosis and you did in essence kind of embrace that. And I love that you wanted to videotape it because you said there's a lot of stories about people with cancer and they end with a person dying. I want to make one of people living. You automatically expected that you were going to do well. I want to stick there because I know things changed a little bit, but I want to stick Mm -hmm. there on, you know, how much, do you, how much credit I would say, do you give to, you know, the outcome, the good outcome that you ultimately did have to just that initial mindset? Well, I'll tell you a story. There was one point when right in the beginning, before I had any chemotherapy, I was getting my blood drawn by a nurse and somehow, because I'm just a talker and I like communicating with people, I start telling her that I have cancer and she looked at me. I remember she had a moment, she's drawing the blood and she just takes that moment and looks at me and she looks back down at the blood and she said, you're going to be just fine. I'm like, how do you know that? And she said, because you're sitting here smiling and you have a cancer diagnosis. I have people who come in here all the time and they look defeated before they even begin. But look at you, you have a great attitude. I think you're going to be just fine. So I think that's a huge thing is to have a good attitude when you go into a situation like that, because I mean, you're already, your body's already being beat up, but your mind, you have control over your mind. You don't have control over what's going on with other stuff, but your mind you do. So if you can put out all that positive energy and start thinking of all the things that you're grateful for, it helps immensely with just changing your attitude and even the way you feel. I mean, that actually changed the way I felt. There was one point where I felt pain because I was so angry and I, I, that was when I knew I needed to change my attitude and the way I was thinking. And that's when I remembered Zig and that story. And I started changing it and started going 
uh, and thinking about all of the things I was grateful for. Well, and I think of that and obviously you can't sit here and I know you're not saying, okay, if you'll just have positive thoughts and, you know, think, uh, in a positive way, you too can survive, you know, come out of cancer with a good diagnosis. Cause as you know, there's a lot of people who still don't, but it makes me think of Zig and his quote too of, you know, positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it'll help you do everything better than negative thinking will. So even if you had not had the outcome of being a cancer survivor, how much better off would you have been? And would you have been for those people that you were in contact with, with a positive attitude anyways? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I would project this positive attitude, but let me tell you, when I was by myself, I was not positive. I was a mess. And I actually tried to be around people more often so that I could be more positive. And I made sure I surrounded myself with warriors because I would have people that would, you know, you don't know what to say. Even I who have had cancer before, um, I don't even know exactly what to say all the time when someone's sick. But when I had people who are just normal, treated me normally and who, um, you know, talk to me about their days, then that was great. But if I had people who were sad and looked at me with their sad eyes or started crying in front of me, oh my gosh, forget it. That was something that really brought me down. So I needed to make sure that I had a community of warriors around me when I was going through this. Well, then go back to utilizing that perspective, thinking on that perspective that you did have. There did come a time in your story when you went from that, Hey, I want to videotape this because I want to have the positive, you know, cancer success, uh, story. And you realized I, I may not make this, um, I may not make it out. So you're still dealing with that perspective. So, so give me that the grappling of, you still have that perspective of believing in having a positive, optimistic attitude, even as you considered, okay, maybe this is not going to be the positive or the, you know, the, the recover, the surviving story that I thought it would be because you found yourself at that point too. Well, when I was younger, my dad had told me, this is how he explained death to me yeah. was that people are here for a certain amount of time, whatever time they need to teach other people lessons and to learn lessons themselves. And sometimes it means it could just be uh, someone's here for a few minutes and other times the entire lifetime. And so I I've taken that with me throughout my life. And so I, there was one point where I actually thought, okay, I may not make it because I got really sick and, but I wanted to still be at peace and to have gratitude. And so I did this journal entry, this, you know, camera video journal entry where I talked to the camera and I said, thank you, God, for everything. Thank you if I survive and thank you if I go out of remission and if I die, because I know it's all, all part of a plan and these are lessons I need to learn because like th th this is, th you know, there's a lot of things you don't have control over, but if you control if, you know, the way you think, then it helps out with the way you interpret life and how everything happens in your life. Okay. I want to dig in there, Joy, because I actually had that section pulled out. Uh, it's actually page 114 in your book where your dad explained death. And he talked about that. And I have the quote written here. We are here to learn lessons and to help teach others lessons too. So this is coming up with, let's say acute traumas. Um, I'm going to take it as a father. I've got kids. I've got four daughters. Uh, and if one of them went through what you did and did not make it, even in my faith, I'll, I'll admit, I'm going to have a hard time accepting that as a lesson and that there's a plan in that. I would say, you know what, God, 
all due respect, I don't want that one. I don't want, do we really have to endure the death or the tragedy or, you know, you can, there's the, if, if a kid is, I mean, we have kids who are abducted and horrific things happen and go, it's kind of a Christianese thing. Oh, God has a perfect plan and it's there. And you can hear that people say and take, you know, there's a lesson in there for you. I, I don't want to think that God would have that happen just to teach me a lesson. So I'm going to throw that at you because I know that you deal, you dealt with it yourself and you also deal consistently with other people who don't have the same outcomes. And it is horrifically tragic. And you're there with the tears. And I appreciate you saying that you don't always know what to say, that that aspect of looking at it as a lesson and a plan is really difficult for some people to accept. So uh, help us with that a little bit, just some thoughts on that. Well, I mean, you have choices, so yeah. it, you can be angry. And I mean, first of all, good goodness gracious, I couldn't even imagine anything like that happening. Yeah. So my heart goes out to anyone who has had to deal with that. Yeah. If you look throughout history, you're going to see so many examples of these incredible organizations that were created out of tragedy yeah. or these incredible movements that were created out of tragedy. So I, I, we don't want any of that stuff to happen. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying you're saying that God's like planning all this stuff, right. but it's like, we have a choice of what we do with that tragedy. And like the, the leukemia lymphoma society that was created by a family because their kid had leukemia and it was pretty much a zero survival rate at yeah. that point. And so they decided to create the leukemia lymphoma society so that they could get funds and start um, doing research and to try and find a cure. And now so much has gone into, finding a cure for leukemia and the the survival rates have shot up. So, I mean, these horrible things happen, but what do we do after that? We have a choice. We can just lay there depressed, sad in our beds the whole time, which, you know, yeah, you're going to do that for a certain amount of time. And then you can get up and say, how can I make this so I can help other people with my experience? So it's a redemption message in essence saying anything can be redeemed in essence. Is that fair? I believe that. Yeah. You, and you said a second ago that some people are going to be in that same scenario, same predicament you are. And like the nurse said, they look defeated before they begin. I mean, you're, so you're seeing that. I mean, you're consistently with, I mean, you work now with other cancer patients and mm -hmm. it's interesting. I actually pulled a book out that I, I interviewed a guy. Here's his book, Skip Pritchard. He has a book, the book of mistakes. And he shared that he grew up in a home where his parents brought in people off the streets, homeless people, people in, in bad situations. And he said it was interesting as a kid, cause he got to see those people come in with very similar circumstances. So here's two guys, two gals, whatever, very similar circumstances. And one would find redemption, make it out. They would progress. They would find a way. Out. And then there'd be a bunch of others maybe who just wouldn't. And he'd look at that and he was grappling with what's the difference, what makes the difference and how they do that. So I'm going to give that to you as well, that as you see these kids primarily, right? That you're working with uh -huh. the cancer with that. Do you see, have you noticed something where you can see kind of that spark, that difference of this one's going to deal with it better than another, than another? Uh, I, I think that anytime, first of all, I think that the kids that have the gratitude and that aren't just sulking in their beds. And I mean, it, it's a, it's a horrible thing for a kid to go through cancer. Uh -huh. That's why the program that I started at SeaWorld is so incredible because the kids get to come to SeaWorld, get in the water with a dolphin. They're doing something that they've never done before. And so that actually helps build their self-esteem because when you go through something life altering like that, your self-esteem gets knocked down quite a bit. And so doing something that you didn't think you could do before, whether it's just, you know, 
getting out of your house, getting out of the hospital, um, coming to the park, interacting with an animal, that can completely change their perspective. And sometimes you need a big thing like that to change your perspective. I mean, even the Ronald McDonald House, they have um, or they have uh, the Camp for Good Times, which my doctor, Dr. Siegel, actually helped create because he was an avid camper. And he and that's the same thing. It helps build their self-esteem. So they'll go there and there's nurses and doctors there. But all of these kids who are going through cancer or just finished up their treatment, they get to build that self-esteem by doing the things that other kids get to do. Interesting. And I'm a familiar. I've stayed at the Ronald McDonald house up in, uh, up in Denver. I had a kiddo who went through not cancer, but went through a lot. And that's significant. So I'll, I'll ask you that because you have kids now. I saw the ages, what, like six and nine. Am I in the six same? and eight? Yeah. Six and eight. So looking at them and it's got to be significant for you to look at them as I'd look at my kids and think it's arrogant to think that this can't happen to them. They could have this trial come upon them. And how do you prepare them now to be that kid like you are, were with a smile and an expectation of good and not the one who is sulking in the bed? So from a preventative standpoint, how do you look at your kids in regards to that? Knowing that, this, that, that there's a difference, what, how am I going to make the difference for them if that were to happen? I think just find ways to build resilience. My kids know my story, most of my story, and they they know what I've been through and they can see. So I think when you see someone at the end of it and they are a survivor and they're healthy, you you know, okay, well, that's someone who got through it. Maybe I can get it through it too. Um, but as far as building resilience in the kids, I, I think just you are an example yourself. So what happens when something goes wrong in your household? Do you just completely collapse? Does everything stop? Or do you deal with it in a positive way? So so they are picking up so much from us. What I love about my kids is that they are seeing my husband and myself just work really hard to accomplish things. They've seen me make a studio here for recording my audiobook. Um, you know, it's like in this little room and I have pillows and blankets and, yeah. you know, it's crazy. But they see that you just don't give up and you keep trying. And I, I share with them when something doesn't go right. Um, and I, but then I have a positive attitude about it. So I think if you have that, then it helps to build resilience in your children, too. I do, too. It's it's convicting to me. Sometimes the, the realization of my example to them is daunting. But then I'm also grateful for the chance to have that influence in their lives too. But my gosh, yeah, we get, they see so much. I'm so aware of that beyond what I say, the example I set. Well, speaking of your kids, so you just had an article a couple of days ago, San Diego Union Tribune. I pulled a piece out of it that I wanted to hit on. Uh, here's the quote from you. He said, my daughter asked me the other night, what difficult things in my life I was most grateful for. And I said, cancer. Sometimes I think that if I had not had cancer, maybe I would have had a big career in Hollywood, but I also think that cancer has really shaped my life and put me in a position where I can give hope to people. I can show them that nothing can stop you and there is nothing you can't overcome. I had John O'Leary on the show. He's, I've had him on a couple of times. And if folks, you don't know his story, type in John O'Leary, you'll find him. He's the guy on fire because he was actually on fire at the age of, I think it was nine and he wow. uh, nearly burnt to death. Uh, shouldn't have, shouldn't have lived. And in the show, talk to him about that in hindsight. And he said something to that effect that if he could go back and I'm thinking, if you can go back in time, you know, you would not have yourself blown up in your family's garage. And he says, no, I would have. And I really struggled with that joy. I've gone seriously. I can't, and I can't relate to a trauma that significant, that acute, but here you are and your kids asking, you say, no, I'm grateful for cancer. And 
What? I, I guess okay. I see you thinking. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Let me ask you, why did he say he felt like that? Because I of the redemption, know. because of what, yeah. uh, because of the redemption. Um, gosh, it's still significant though, to think of the, the pain that you went through at that time. But okay. This is what I think. Everyone in life is looking for their purpose. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter who you are. You want to make sure that your life has a purpose. And so I was doing what I was doing at that age. I was, you know, had become a dolphin trainer. It was amazing. I accomplished my dream. I was going to film school, another dream, but did I have a purpose? I don't, I, I did. I don't, I can't identify a purpose that I had at that point. Now, when I got sick, it opened my eyes up to this whole world of cancer patients. Now I've seen them before. I know what, you know, people who are going through cancer look like, but I, my life hadn't been touched by that. And I think when your life is touched by something, then you can go out once you're through the fire and you can make a difference in other people's lives who are in the middle of it and, and inspire them that they can keep going and they can get through it too, because we need that. We need these stories to keep going on and to inspire us to get through our journey in life. You are listening to The Ziegler Show in this episode with Joy Clausen Soto. Next, I ask her about the danger to a degree if we haven't had a powerful motivator such as a trauma, as Joy has experienced. Here are some resources I think will serve you well. Then we're going to be back with Joy. So I here's what's interesting to me, because let's take you and take John O'Leary. And I've had other people, you know, on the show that have had a lot of people who have had, you know, significant things that have happened to them and that they've overcome. Now, obviously for every one of those, there's a lot of people where a similar thing happened and it overcame them. It, It destroyed, you know, them now in between, however, so here we have tens of thousands of people that are going to listen to this show. A lot of them, the majority, I'm going to say are probably like me, not that we haven't had traumas to some degree, but no, I haven't had a life-threatening thing happen to me. Um, I've had one kid who's had some life-threatening stuff, but I haven't had that touch me. And it almost feels, you can almost get to this feeling of like, gosh, I'm, I'm at a deficit because I don't have a trauma. It brought to you, you to such an acute realization of the, gosh, yeah, the gravity of life. That do you feel like there is some aspect, not that you would wish trauma on somebody, but that yeah. everybody else out there, they don't have the benefit of getting that acute taste of the, Gosh, the glory of life, the preciousness of it. Go. No, no, no. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like everyone has to go through some horrible trauma to, to get to that point. Um, we all go through challenges. They're just different. I remember, and it still happens, but especially when I had just gone through cancer, people would tell me about their problems and then quickly every single time say, Oh, but it's nothing compared to yours. And I'm like, no, this is what you're going through. This is your challenge in life right now. So, you know, it's specific to each person who's going through it. You just have to make the most out of what you have. I mean, right now I'm, I'm publicizing the book that I just wrote and I have run into so many challenges trying to get someone to help me (laughs) with, Mm. with a PR. And it's like, but the thing is I I'll get kind of, you know, depressed for a little bit, you know, (laughs) a few hours and then I'm back to it. And then I keep trying and I keep, and I'm, and I got that article out there. I have a lot of other things coming up. So I mean, it's just a matter of not giving up looking towards your goals and just keep working towards them. And I really believe that when you're working towards your passion, that's when you find your purpose somewhere along the way that's going to happen. So keep working towards that passion, 
and then the purpose will follow. Well, I think it was out of that same article and I pulled another piece out and you talked about purpose. You said, I think we all want to feel like we have purpose in life. And you said, for me, uh, you know, finding that was and dealing with your ordeal was visualization, gratitude, and you just mentioned it again and perseverance. I mean, visualization, when you talk about that, obviously, you know, very Ziegler-esque. I mean, it's his, you know, self-affirmations looking. Well, you did that. You talk about that in the book. Your affirmation was, I'm cancer-free. You said, I said mm-hmm. that about a thousand times. I'm cancer-free. And I mean, do you look at that now and feel like that was part of the speaking it into existence? The visualization of that? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I have a story at the beginning of the book where I talk about going to the SeaWorld swim test and it's this huge test. It's very rigorous and I um, couldn't do it. I had practice the night before. I just got an invitation two days before the test or maybe it was a day. And so I was in Chicago, had to fly out to San Diego. So I go down to the pool because I had a club membership there, which I had never used to work out. (laughs) That was the one time I did. And I tried passing the test and I couldn't even come close. I was... I maybe passed a quarter of it. That was it. And then I had to come up for air and then that was it. And then my practice time was over and I had to get on a plane and fly out to take the swim test that I knew I physically couldn't uh, pass. So what happened was I remembered how basketball players would visualize the ball going through the hoop. And this is used in many, many sports, gymnastics, just everything. Just visualize yourself doing it and being successful. And so I spent that whole plane ride simply visualizing myself swimming under the water for a long time, wanting to give up, not giving up, and then passing the test. And I was able to do that. I was able to actually go through the whole thing, pass it, um, touch the bottom, which is 26 feet deep, which is another thing I've never been able to do. My ears hurt at six feet in a pool. So for me to go 26 feet deep was impossible, but I did it because I visualized the entire time. So I I think visualization is tremendous in finding success in life is visualizing things going well, um, you know, winning a contest or whatever it is, visualizing your business doing well and what that involves is key to success in life. Yeah. You, you know, another aspect of using that word redemption, I really like your story. You talked about when you went to the wedding, uh, in the book and you said, you realized, you said people are usually about 85 when they realize they can do whatever they want to do. And it doesn't matter because they shouldn't care what other people think. And you having a life-threatening illness at 25, realize that now that was, I, that, that just hit me a, a lot of the, you know, I'm, I'm 50 and I'm realizing things now that I wish I had learned, you know, back then. And what a gift that you got that at 25. And I would assume that that's something, I mean, do you feel like you've been able to take that forward from that point on and now do things that, yes, you see so many of us handicapped that if we could just get that vision, visualization of, Oh, it's a wisdom ultimately is what you got there. Uh, You know, I'll be honest. It's not, I don't have that throughout my life, but it comes and goes like the whole reason why I started uh, finishing my book. (laughs) This was back in August of last year was my husband's beloved uncle, uncle bunny was what we called him. Tio Conejo. He passed away suddenly. And it just, it just kind of brings it back into perspective that you, you have, you only have a certain finite amount of time here on earth. And so you've got to just make your best effort while you're here. And so once he passed away, I just set this goal of, I'm going to finish this book. I'm going to do it. So I, I think that 
that is really important to be able to do things like that and to to realize that you don't have all of the time in the world because sometimes it can feel like okay well, i'll do that tomorrow i'll do that next year and you have this list right this list that you carry over and then one day you won't be able to finish that list so you just need to do as much as you can while you're here you had the doctor say tell you and it was it impacted you a lot that this is a battle right the one doctor mm-hmm. battle 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 And in that, do you find yourself kind of counseling in that aspect with these kids who are dealing with cancer? And even, I mean, now as you're going to be on stage in front of lots of people and talking with, you know, people in, on all aspects of life, dealing with lots of things, is that still a perspective that you, do you see it that way or or that, that people need to be helped that way to realize this is something to, you know, bear up for and treat as a battle as opposed to you just going in and coming and offering comfort. Does that make sense? Right. Well, for what I went through for cancer or something else, life threatening when, when that doctor, there's a doctor who he's Irish had this like thick brown mustache and lots of hair. And he had this whole battle talk with me because I was, I, I shuffled into his room. I shuffled in my, um, shoulders were slouched over and I was just depressed because it was just hitting me of what was going on. And he gave me this whole battle speech and, you know, saying you're going into battle and I'm going to be your general and this person's your lieutenant and you need to fight battle, battle. And it was like this crazy, crazy speech. I'm like, am I being videotaped right now? I feel like I'm in a scene from Braveheart. But what that did was it made me feel like this wasn't happening to me, but I was I was part of the fight. I was an active participant in this. So I think sometimes you can feel like things are happening to you in life. But if you take some way of com- of being able to gain back control, then it, it changes things. Even if it's just a mental trick so that you feel like you have some control and that, you know, my oncologist is my lieutenant and, you know, all these people are fighting with me and I'm part of the fight. Well, I'm not going to give up. All these people are fighting with me. I'm, I'm part of that fight. Put me in, coach. So that was a great speech that he gave me. And it definitely helped shift my perspective towards what's going on. And I think that would help anyone to get, you know, a crazy speech like that from a, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. From someone. Well, and you, so you just mentioned the word control and you talk about that in the book. It's in your documentary, that aspect of, it seems like that was a very, a, a paramount perspective to deal with or to grapple with that you were not in control of so much. And so you talked about where can I, you know, have control, but you know, I mean, gosh, we're, so we're in a time right now we're recording, you know, June, 2021 still at, you know, in this pandemic time where I think people feel less in control, more victimized, you know, than ever. So this aspect of control feels so paramount. And so to everybody out there who feels out of control, and if you're in an acute aspect of dealing with a trauma specifically, and you're out of control, just speak to that about how you dealt with that feeling of being out of control by taking control of at least what you could. Is that how you really addressed it primarily? Absolutely. Because, okay, so when something's happening to you, a lot of times you feel out of control, like even the pandemic, there's this big loss of control. You can't control what's happening and all the people who are getting sick and the loss of business and all of that. But so it's really easy to focus on the bad. But if you take a second and you look at what you can control, then you can start making a difference in your life. For me, I was going to film school when I found out that I was sick. 
And then film school wouldn't let me go back. <laughs> they, they, I, I was offering to only do part of the work um, because I would be sick and going through chemotherapy. And they said no to that. And so there was a loss in that moment of this dream that I had. And that's when I decided to make the documentary because that way I could still have control. I can still learn about filmmaking. And so, um, and I could hopefully show a story of survival. And so that was one way I was able to take back control. Now, another thing for me was, you know, going through cancer, I felt like I didn't have control over what was happening to me. So all the doctors knew everything. They had all the information, but I didn't. And so what I did was I started a notebook with all of my information in there. So I had my most recent um, blood reports in there with my blood levels. I had my um, uh, chemotherapy regimen in there. I had all these different things so that if someone had a question, if it was a new doctor or a new nurse, I didn't feel like I was at their mercy. I felt like I could just bring out my notebook and then show them where I'm at. So that even I, I didn't ever had to use that. No doctor came in and didn't know what they were talking about, but I felt more in control with that. So that was a huge part of it. And even there was one thing with um, my roommate. I had a roommate who was five years old and she ended up um, getting sick again and then she didn't make it. And I had this big dream of us going to SeaWorld and me being able to bring her into the water to meet a dolphin because it, I would tell her stories about that when we were in the hospital together and her face would light up and it was just this, these beautiful moments we had together. And so I would start dreaming of us both having hair and me being able to bring her into the water. And so when it came to it, 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 it didn't end up happening because she passed away. And I remember my husband was the one who had the idea of, well, why does it have to, why does this dream have to go away because she's not here anymore? Why can't you just make a difference in other people's lives? And so that's when we started coming up with the idea of an annual interaction for kids who have cancer from Children's Hospital. And SeaWorld was right on board right away. We started doing it that year within a few months. It was incredible. So, um, you know, there's always, always, always going to be times in your life where you don't have control, but if you look hard enough, you can find those ways to get back control. Well, thank you. And there, I'm going to go through a couple. There were just some big topics that as I read the book came out that again, you have maybe had the gift of, or you can redeem, you know, having dealt with so acutely like that, like control. Another one that struck me was transition. You talked about that. So you ultimately, you said six months was kind of the primary battle six months. And then, you know, so now you're cancer free and everybody's like, okay, go back to normal. Well, I just appreciated that because I've heard that from other people in acute situations, like back to normal, how on earth, I can't go back to normal. Speak to that a bit because you were hit with that and you talk about it in the book just blatantly. Like, how do you do that? And there's a lot of people out there that have dealt with these traumas and feel maybe somewhat crippled of how do I go back to normal? So speak to that. So you have to imagine that when someone goes through something like that, that the doctor says, go back to normal. And for me, I was bald when when I was told that go back to normal. I'm like, I'm bald. My muscles had atrophied. I had PTSD, but I didn't know it. I was going through a lot. And so for me, I didn't know that I needed to reach out for help. And I think there's always times in your life where something is out of your you know, uh, out of your hands and you need to reach out and ask for help from someone else. And for me, it took me an entire year to ask for that help. And I finally went to a therapist because I was having dreams every single night that I was still sick. 
And what happened was I started to actually heal at that point. So it took me a year to reach out for help. But what happens is um, your friends and your family, they all think, oh, okay, she's great. So all the support you got from the doctors, from your friends and family, your community of support that lifted you up the entire time, which is fantastic and such a blessing. But they, once you get that cancer-free diagnosis, you know, everyone starts to kind of go back to their everyday lives and you're sitting there not really knowing what to do and scared really. I mean, for me, I was kind of scared that it would come back. I still think about it all these years later, I'm 20 years out and I still have those thoughts in my head. Um, so I think just having that support drop away so fast is something that maybe we can look at <laughs> as a society and just know that there's still more support to be given to people who are going through something extreme like cancer or something like that. Um, and they need a little bit of extra help to get through it because I, yeah, I, I think people thought there'd be like a little bluebird landing on my shoulder and <laughs> beautiful, you know, like a little cartoon of mice be making up my bed. And it was not like that. Um, when I was told that I was cancer free, well, it took years to get back on track. I, I'm gonna, so I'm going to ask, I'll ask it from two different directives or, or two directions. I should say to that person who has dealt with trauma. So let's say there's some, I mean, there is, there's enough people listening to this, that there's somebody out there who has just come off some significant trauma and they're feeling that it's, it's the end of, yeah, they had this support, they dealt with it. Now it's over and everybody goes back to normal. What would you tell them to do? Because one thing I heard you say is, would you say this is the time to proactively reach out and say, hey, I still need help? Oh, absolutely. Just still, still, um, uh, yes, absolutely. Let them know that you still need help because people don't know that. And, and I didn't know that either. I thought, okay, all these people gave so much to me during this time. So I also didn't want to ask for help. Yeah. Uh, for me, I wish I had asked for a therapist earlier. I wish I'd reached out for that help way earlier than when I did, because I think it would have, would have helped me faster. So I would tell them to reach out, see a therapist. Um, you know, the different things work for different people, group meetings. I'm not a group meeting kind of person. I'm a one-on-one -on -one kind of person because there's a lot of stuff, you know, that you built up, right. You've been through this traumatic experience and you need to talk to someone, but you also don't want to lay that all on your friends and family. So I, for me, I would say the therapist is, is a good thing to go to just to be able to get all of that out. And then it's not like you have to have your friends and family all around you all the time, but for them to check in and make sure you're okay, take you out, go do something just so you can check in with that person who's going through that, um, that crisis, even though it's over, it's not over in their head. There's still stuff going on. Well, no, to a degree you've answered the next you know, question is to, to all of us who are out there caring for somebody going through a trauma, what should we, you know, what should we do? And there it is. We should know that they need care afterwards. I'll never forget some friends of ours about five years ago, three little girls, they went uh, overseas and one of their girls got sick, little three-year-old girl, my, one, one of my little girl's best friends got sick and died. I, just how do you deal? you know, so you come back and of course there's the funeral and the morning mm -hmm. and whatever, but then at some point it's over and you, and, and I remember with my wife talking about how, do, what do we do for them? How do you, yeah, like that, how do they go back to normal? And we did not know what to do. And I don't know that we did much or did enough. And I hear you saying, no, that's the time to press in. Like, where's the, the, the post trauma care you know, it's almost, it, it would almost be thinking, gosh, keep there's, let's have a few people that have their resources for the person afterwards. Everybody's going to be pouring into right. them during that. Can we be the people that are post-traumatic care? Cause I have been in that place of not knowing what to do and probably not doing enough if, if anything. And go ahead. 
Uh, I would say just be there because for me, the most important thing when I was going through this, I I mean, I know we're talking post, but the most important thing was that I had people who were just there for me. Like I had this really difficult time and I was battling with myself to be positive. And um, my friend, Anne left a message for me and she's like, I just can't imagine how someone can deal with this much pain. So I want you to send me your pain. And so I don't know what to say to someone, but I can tell you that was the most special thing that anyone said to me when I was sick was send me your pain so that we can both deal with it. Um, And just knowing that someone's there, you don't have to say the right thing. Even for me, when I was sick, it was just having people, you know, play charades in front of me and just be normal and talk about normal things was great because it got my mind off of it. Because when you're by yourself, that's when all the thoughts start to ruminate in your head and you start to think about the things that you don't want to think about. So just having people around helps to, you know, try to go back to a normal life and feel loved. I mean, gosh, isn't that what it's all about is connecting with other people and soul to soul with all these people around us. It's such a special thing. So just be there for your friends and family. Well, you know, Zig, a primary topic for him was hope. I mean, that, you know, that is the fuel for everything is hope. And to these people in significant trauma, and I'll just say to the kids that you're still dealing with now, when we look at the movies, you see the consummate movie and there's a trauma. And of course you come up to the kid and it's, everything's going to be okay as a parent, right? I promise everything's going to be okay. And I always struggle with that because I think you can't promise that I've, I've had kids that stuff has happened to, you know, you can't promise that, but how do you deal with hope with, for, for you in those places where it is super cute. You've got kids there and there is, I mean, you know, the stats and you know what they've got and you know, there's hardly, it's, it's, I mean, you can always hope for a good outcome, but you know that it's the chances are slim and there's a 0.001% chance. How do you offer hope to them outside of maybe the platitude of it's, it's going to work out. You're going to be okay. You're going to get past this. How do you give hope anyways? My first reaction when you said that was, oh, that's annoying to hear. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Okay. okay. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just being in the moment with that person. I don't think you have to give them a pep talk and solve everything and tell them that they're going to get through it. And it's just being there with them in the moment and making that moment count and be special. I think that's what you can do when someone's going through that and not not worry about the future because we don't know. And it'd be a lie to say, I know you're going to get through this. But just to be with them and enjoy the moments that you have with them. Yeah. You, another standout, actually maybe the anchor standout for me, as I went through the entire book and read the story, you end up afterwards. So it's after this, it's you're after that, you know, now it's go back to normal. You end up in Hawaii, (laughs) you're serving food and drinks, uh, and your statement of I survived cancer for this. To me, that was, again, a a climax of the book and of your message because I thought, man, to some degree, um, I mean, I I just turned 50 and I can look and and there's some aspects and and I have so much to be grateful for, but I got to admit there's some aspects of going, really, I've lived this long and haven't done this and have been unaware of this and haven't achieved this. And, you know, we can all do that to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so yes, one be gra- be grateful, but I also like the call out that you give in there that I survived X. So anybody can put that blank in there. I survived this amount of time. I've lived this long, or I've sur- or I went through this trauma, and for this for this reality that may not be where you want it to be, is really convicting. Um, Joy, it was convicting to me to see that for us all to look at it and go, man, I've survived for you cancer for this, 
and just to audit our lives. And how can we do that without it being just a disappointment, but it also be a motivator to like you did, you said, I'm, this is not okay. And you made a big change, made a big sacrifice and said, I'm going to go forward almost, well, we're back to redemption, aren't we? Of how can I redeem it? Okay. It's another aspect of redemption. It's got to, yeah, again, it's such a, well, there's the the gift, I guess, is the perspective that it gave you that you're now able to impart to others. But I also think that it's a catalyst. So we, once again, it's back to that purpose. We all want to feel like we have a purpose in life, but when you are feeling like that, it's a catalyst. Maybe you're not in the place where you should be. And this is you, your soul saying, okay, I need to do something more. What can I do? And so it's that uncomfortable feeling when you evaluate where you're at and you don't like it, where you can then make that change. Because if you just feel comfortable the whole time, I mean, sometimes you don't, you just stay at that one level, but it's that uncomfortable feeling that gets you to search for something more. And what else can I do to get out of that situation that you're in or to propel yourself to another level of whatever it is that you want to do? Do you use that now? I mean, do you sometimes, cause yeah, you said you're 20 years past that you have a new life, you have a, you know, a husband and kids and, and career and now book, but do you find that you're yourself drawing on that now? Maybe to get yourself, you said the word comfort out of complacency to go, wait a minute. Not that you, again, be grateful, be content in the moment, but also saying, man, I've, I've gone through too much just to be complacent. And is that part of what you want to, again, want to impart to others is, is to, uh, again, it's that grappling of not to be dissatisfied with where you are, but my goodness, there's so much more we can do. We're capable of. Well, for me, it was just finding another way to give back because, you know, like I said, we don't know how much time we have. So make the most out of what you have. And I, (laughs) this is going to sound a little crazy, but I had a dream a long time ago. And this dream, I think about every single day of my life now. And it's that I go up to heaven and there's an angel there and we're reviewing (laughs) uh, videos of my life. And uh, he said, oh, so close, but you didn't make it. I'm like, what? And he points to the video. And I always try to remember what that video is. And I, I just remember it was something that was very simple. And I know this is a dream, but it was something very simple, like r- relating to another human being and being there in the moment with someone. And um, so I, he said, okay, you have to go back. I'm like, well, I have to go back. <laughs> I just got here. And it, so I am always trying to make sure that I make a difference while I'm here because I have, you know, all of my experiences and why not make the most out of my experiences and help people while I'm here. And I, I don't think a lot of people would have done what I'm doing, which is make a documentary on what I went through and write a book and I'll, you know, blog about it. But I feel like sharing our stories helps give other people hope. And so for purpose purposes, um, I feel like that is my purpose in life is to help give other people hope that they can get through a challenge in their life too. Well, you did. Uh, You have and you did. Uh, I can claim uh, that you've done that with me in reading that. It'll be the topic around the dinner table with my kids tonight. Uh, what you've gone through. And yeah, I do. I had a kid who went through some significant stuff, so it'll be good to bring that up again. And uh, thank you. Sharing your story gives hope and you have given hope to me and you will to tens of thousands of people that listen to this. I'm grateful that you've got, you talked about promotion. You have an advocate in Tom Ziegler because he said, Kevin, you've got to have joy on the show. Uh, uh, so you got great. to talk with him and uh, that's what brought you to my attention. And I'm, I'm so grateful 
Uh, thank you for doing what you do to make, making the effort to put the book out there, to put the documentary out there. And we will send people to get the book, to go to your site, to check out the documentary and get the hope that you've got to offer us. Thank you for the time and for doing what you do, Joy. Thank you so much. Well, folks, no doubt you are inspired after this story. Again, you can visit Joy's website at joyclausensoto.com. That's C-L-A-U-S-E-N-S-O-T-O. And if you sign up for her newsletter, you can get her book for free. Well, coming up in episode 900, I have a short and significant message. We listened to a five-minute clip from Zig Ziglar on how he went from a very poor salesman to literally almost the best due to one man's brief input into his life. And it basically just changed the picture he had of himself. So that's what we're going to talk about, how we see ourselves and if we can actually change that. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <laughs>